Yeah, you about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank. I'm Bradham. It's the assistant to the regional manager, Joe George, behind the glass. And it is a Taco Tuesday edition of the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Lots going on in this city. Lots going on in the sports world of this city. And, of course, our lead story today is the greatness that is Jarrett Patterson, the center of the just kidding Twitch. I'm trolling the Twitchers. The lead story is that Justin Verlander turned back the clock. A vintage performance by Justin Verlander when the the Astros absolutely had to have it. Yeah, no doubt about it. This is the kind of performance that you expect out of a team that's this talented. It's a shame you haven't gotten it more often. But from Verlander as a microcosm for the team itself, this is what you expect out of Houston Astros baseball. The road thing is just crazy. That they come out and look like a totally different team whenever they're on the road and the home thing they can't figure out. But they needed that, and that was maybe a season saver. The way they took care of business, the way they kept piling on, the way they basically kind of let the Mariners know early on and with every passing inning that they just weren't going to be in this one. And Verlander was dealing. The fact that he even entered the ninth inning and kept his pitch count down low, uh, that was impressive all the way around last night, and that was a feel-good that every Astros fan needed. This is why you made the trade. Uh, you know, Verlander hasn't pitched great for the Houston Astros since the trade. Not bad. Not bad. Like 375, 380 ERA, somewhere around there. Not bad. Not bad. But probably not to the performance that you wanted after you traded a couple of your top prospects headlined by Drew Gilbert. But yesterday's the reason that you make this trade. Uh Because in a big-time atmosphere, a big-time game, the Astros were in the process. And look, they still might be. You have to win this series. That was one game. It's great to win the one game. It's great to jump out ahead one game to none in a three-game series. That's fantastic, but you still have to finish the job. But Verlander did his part yesterday, and that's why you make the trade. Because in the biggest moments, you want to turn it over to a pitcher that you can trust. And look, a lot of people don't necessarily trust Justin Verlander since he's become a Houston Astro again this season after the uh, the trade deadline. But he did everything that you needed from a an ace. He did everything you needed from a clutch performer. And this is why Dana Brown and probably uh, Jim Crane as well uh, made this trade to bring Verlander into the fold, into the mix again in 2023. And when the Astros had to have it, Justin Verlander was there to deliver it, pitched an absolute gem, had a shaky inning, got out of it. A little thanks to a ground Ooh. ball double play, which is not really something that Justin Verlander has in his in his bag, but he did it. And Verlander was great yesterday, and I think we look back at that trade and say, well, this is precisely the reason that you make that trade in late July. Well, and we talked about it at the time, Jeremy. The, the fact of the matter is, is this team was too good right now to be worried about Drew Gilbert three years down the road or however long it would uh, it take could be next year. to get him there. I mean, he had a game-tying home run last night in the minors, and, and people were you know obviously excited if you're a Mets fan. But Drew Gilbert wasn't going to help you this year, and, and Justin Verlander is capable of helping you kind of get where you always wanted to go with all the injuries, particularly to the pitching staff. You had to do something, and bringing in a guy that knows the system, knows the city, knows the clubhouse, knows the manager – and is capable of doing what he did last night. Now, you're right. He's not what he used to be, and I don't think anybody expected him to be what he was a year ago, but he can be a guy at the top of your rotation that can shut a team down, and doing what he did last night against against a good baseball team shows you he's still capable. He's still got it to do what's necessary if your offense shows up at all. Yeah, the Mariners haven't been playing good either. Like This no. has been a couple of struggling teams that have, are trying to limp into the playoffs and 
Good chance that the winner of the series will be the team that does limp into the playoffs, so it's always good to get ahead uh, one to nothing in a three-game series. I like the strikeouts from Verlander. Like, Verlander looked vintage Verlander in which he was dominant. Like, gave up three hits in the entire outing. Uh, struck out eight over eight innings. That's, that's turning back the clock. Like, that's the Justin Verlander that has been so great in his entire career. It's the Justin Verlander that's going to be in Cooperstown someday. What hat is he wearing is up for uh, up to, for debate in a different time, a uh, different conversation for a different time. But to get the punch outs, to limit the hits, and I mean it's pretty much a must win game in mm-hmm. game one of that series. Mm-hmm. This is this is why you make the trade for Justin Verlander, and Verlander was outstanding picking up his twelfth win yesterday. Do you like the idea of him uh, coming back out for the ninth? I mean. I don't think he had to. I think that was something that he said after the game. He appreciated the opportunity to go out and try. Uh, I don't think you had to do that because you don't know how quickly you're going to have to use them and when you're going to have to use them again. And I think the game was pretty much out of reach. But I think Justin gets what Justin wants. I think that there was there was a, a discussion in the club in the, the the dugout where I think he wanted to go back and try and finish it to really finish the statement because he made a hell of a statement. And I think that what you saw from him and the way he went about his business, the fact that the pitch count was down uh, and he kept it as low as he did to even have an opportunity to start the ninth inning was amazing to me. But, you know, he looks like a guy and this whole team, again, he's kind of the microcosm of the team. It looks like when they play good teams, they are fully capable of taking it to another level. He talked about how they look like a playoff. They treat it like a playoff game and he knows every one of his guys is going to rise to the occasion. I don't know how you stage a playoff feeling against the A's and and against the Royals, but the night and day is unbelievable in terms of how bad they can be against bad teams, especially at home, and then how they can do this. The Mariners are there for a reason. They might not be good right now, and they've been slumping, but they've been waiting for this, and they're desperate too because they know at home they've got to jump on this team if they have any hopes of trying to stay in this thing. And he just put a stranglehold on them with the exception of the the bases-loaded one-out situation. He was in complete control, and that's what you love to see. 3667 says, uh, you say the game was out of reach, but they could have put Presley in. Eh, I mean, Presley's your closure. You're never putting him in in that spot. Uh, I don't. I didn't never view that game as like out of reach, out of reach, to the point where I'm like throwing a Ryan Stanek in that spot or a Rafael Montero. Like That game is so critical that you have to close it out or finish it out because it's not a safe situation uh, with your leverage, guys. I was totally fine with Verlander starting the inning. I, I would have played it exactly like Dusty Baker played it. I, I thought Dusty managed it. Uh, fantastically with uh, his usage of Justin Verlander. Go batter to batter. Uh, give them give until the Mariners get a guy on base. You don't want to allow them two guys on base because now you're bringing in a reliever in a more stressful situation. Yes, it's still a five-run game, but a home run makes it a three-run uh, three game, bloop and a blast, tie ball game. So I thought Dusty managed it uh, perfectly, to be completely honest, and I don't say that very often. I thought you bring Justin Verlander back for another inning. If he gives up a hit, he gives up a walk, he puts a base runner on base, then you go to your best reliever, Brian Abreu, to finish, get the last three outs, two outs, one out, whatever it is, uh, and guarantee yourself that victory. So I, I I tip my cap at how Dusty Baker handled uh, Verlander. I think you know you brought it up too, Verlander mentioning in the postgame show that he was appreciative of getting the opportunity to get the complete game shutout. But even Verlander knew, I bet, that uh, it, it was a hitter-by-hitter basis. If he allowed a single base runner, he was turning it over to the Astros' best reliever, and that's exactly what happened. Well, and on top of that too, Jeremy, look, the pre- to the to, as regards to the, the Presley comment, Presley's a guy that you don't – he struggles when you got to use him multiple days. If you don't have to use Ryan Presley, don't use Ryan Presley. I mean, Abreu's a younger guy, stronger arm, uh, and you know he, he he hasn't had any issues bouncing back. 
You could use a Neris. You could use a Abreu, but you want to save as many of those guys as you possibly can because you got to believe that you're going to be in a tight game or two here in Seattle. And as you go down the stretch, so the less wear and tear now when you've got a game where you have a five-run cushion that you don't have to use these guys, it's important that you don't. No, I, I, I don't even enter the conversation of Ryan Presley in that game. I don't think the texture is suggesting that, though. I think he's suggesting more like, you know, Presley maybe gets Seattle back into the conversation. Uh, Geo says, when will JV pitch again? Uh, my guess is Saturday. Saturday would be normal rest. I can't imagine I can't imagine the Astros like trying to give Verlander an extra day when they're in the thick of this playoff race with five games left to play. Um Let's see. If they're in a wild card series, what days do they play, Joe? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Tuesday, Wednesday, yeah. Thursday. So if he pitches Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, he wouldn't be available again until Thursday if he's on, unless he goes on short rest. So that's kind of a, that's an interesting wrench into that conversation. I think it depends on where you're at, I that's think. That's exactly what I was going to say. It depends on what, what your playoff situation looks like because if you can, you probably want to make sure your top two are ready to go uh, in that Minnesota series if possible. And I, and I think that they're gonna they're gonna Dusty will probably manage and and whoever is the powers that be that have a say so in the matter will try and you know figure it out and calculate hey if we don't have to use them we probably don't want to use them because you need he, him and Fromber in a short series uh, and you need them to be at their very best I don't want to use them on short rest if I don't have to you have to evaluate the lay of the land because mm-hmm. I mean if you haven't clinched by Saturday then uh, you have to use right. Justin Verlander get there. now Fromber's pitching on Wednesday his the, that puts him out of the normal, like if his normal rest would push him out of the regular season. Now, on three days rest, he could potentially start game 162, Sunday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, pitch on three days rest on Sunday. Not something that I bet they would love to do, but I think that they would do it if they absolutely had to. Now, if you don't have to use him in that Sunday series uh, regular season finale on short rest, um, then he's available for game one of a wild card series if you're in the wild card series. And right now, you, you would be in the wild card series. So I, I think you would have to evaluate that whenever the day comes. But it's hard to imagine that you have anything locked up by Saturday. Right. Right. So, no, that's why I said, I mean, the scenario matters so much because. You really want to set yourself up in the postseason for having your best pitchers available right off the jump in a quick three game series when you know you got you want to get out and get the momentum early, set the tone, and try and get out of there as quickly as possible. I don't want Fromber on short notice. I mean, on short rest because I don't want to. That sets him up to be, have you know a tired arm. But if or you have, have to win game, oh well, then you have to. Yeah. That's the only way you're going to use them. They're not going to use them on short rest just to throw them and have them pitch three innings. Like they're only going to use them in a must win situation. Yeah, no. I mean, obviously, the first and foremost priority is you have to get in. So if you have to use them on Sunday, then you have to use them on Sunday, and that would suck going into the playoffs. Yeah. But. It is what it is because, you, you know, you got to have a, a ticket to the dance before you have a chance to, to go further. Yeah, because then you have to pitch on three days rest again for a potential game three of a wild card. Verlander would have to go on three days rest for a potential game two if he pitches on Saturday. That's why you should have taken care of business. Yeah. Because you're going to position yourself in a spot that isn't optimal. Can you still win it? Absolutely. You could still, you know, win the wild card series, even if the, the pitching rotation's not stacked up the way that you would like. But... This is why you, you want to win the division. This is why you want to cl- cruise to the wild card. So 
you can uh, you can set up the rotation a little bit once you get there. 713-780-ESPN, the HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. Busy show. We'll cash it or trash it a little bit later. We'll update our rookie quarterback ranking. Should be an easy thing to do. Uh, also, you know, I, I watched the All-22. We'll talk about that a little bit. But more to get to about the Astros-Mariners game one or your takeaways from that series opening victory in Seattle. 713-780-3776. We're on the Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. He's at Pac-Man Joel. He's at Joe George Radio. I'm at Jeremy Branham. Collectively, we're the Killer Beast on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. And collectively, General Ben's the absolutely absolute best. Uh, I tell you this all the time. That's a great pleasure of mine to tell you about General Ben because, look, I, I like to say I call it like I see it. I tell it like it is. And everybody that has told me that they've tried General Ben, they all say, man, you were right about this. This wasn't just a sales job. General Ben is fantastic. Those are real-life testimonials. I, I tell you this all the time. General Ben is the best. Time for you to believe me. Whether it's the vodka, best in the state, the gin, best in the market, or the bourbon, the double platinum winner at the prestigious Ascot Awards, General Ben uses their innovative, revolutionary technology that eliminates impurities for the cleanest, smoothest spirits that you will ever taste. It's smooth. It's clean. It eliminates the burn. Do not labor through your drink. Enjoy it. Savor it. And you can do that with General Ben. Head to GentleBen.com to learn the incredible story. Also, you can order... The vodka, the gin, the bourbon, straight from GentleBin.com now. First time that they've been able to do this last couple of weeks. You go online, GentleBin.com, order what you want. They'll deliver it straight to your door. It cuts out the legwork of having to stop by your favorite liquor store, but you can still do that. Pick up a bottle on the way home today. Stop by the GentleBin Tasting Room in Alvin. Ask for it the next time. Your favorite bar or restaurant. Stop by the Astros. Well, I guess you can't do that anymore unless they're playing in the playoffs. The GentleBin Bar inside. 3%. 713-780-3776. Astros win in Seattle yesterday. 3667. Dusty wouldn't, but would you switch Abreu and Presley rolls? I would not right now. We talked about that a week or so ago. I just wouldn't do it simply because of the fact that I think you, you run the risk of losing Presley. Um, I, I still have confidence in Ryan Presley. Yeah, he's had some hiccups. But I think that he's been there, done that. He's been in big games and performed well. And, and I wouldn't rock the boat too much right now with everything else that's going on and how you're going to need all hands on deck. So I personally would not. I don't care about players' feelings. I care about winning championships. And if it means that I trust Brian Abreu more to get final three outs of a game over Ryan Presley, I'm doing that because it's my responsibility as a manager to take care of the entire team to try to win a championship. Uh, That said, I love Joe's uh, idea of this, where I'm using Brian Abreu in my highest leverage spots. If it's the eighth inning and two, three, four are coming up, then that's the spot that I'm using Brian Abreu. Ryan Presley can have the ninth in that scenario. If it looks like seven, eight, nines coming up in the eighth inning, and then you're going to get the top of the order in the ninth, then Presley's pitching the eighth, Abreu's pitching the ninth. I agree with you. Dusty wouldn't do it. I'm not in the interest of players' feelings. I'm in the interest of winning ballgames. Joe? It's, to me, it's very clear Like that's the best strategy for, for the Astros. I, I still... I know they didn't do it last year, but Abreu was moving around. He wasn't just the eighth inning guy. No. So, like, he would pitch sometimes in the seventh in the postseason if, like, a, a Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager were to come up this year in the ALDS. Like, he would be that guy to get them in the seventh. So, I, I still – I know they won't do, like, the actual ninth inning, but Dusty's kind of shown he's open to it in the past. And, like, if he doesn't believe in someone, he clearly just doesn't pitch them. Yeah. Like, and it's not that he doesn't believe in Presley. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think he still believes Presley's his best guy. And he's a traditionalist. And he would be wrong because Brian Abreu is clear, clearly his best guy. But I, I think that you, I think you're on to something here, Joe. Like the usage of Brian Abreu, knock on wood, if you get into the playoffs, I think he's going to be an inning plus guy. I think he's going to be a guy that comes in and like puts out a fire in the sixth or seventh inning, gets an out or two in that inning, and then pitches the following inning as well. I think he's going to be an inning plus guy uh, in the postseason. And look, you can make a case that putting a fire out in the sixth or seventh inning and then pitching the seventh or eighth, pitching an inning plus, getting more than three outs, is more valuable than the three outs in the ninth inning. So I like that idea. And then you're pro- I mean, you please all masters here, right? Mm-hmm. LeBreu is getting the leverage. You're not uh, potentially ticking off Ryan Presley, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, 713-780-3776. I thought the game was won in the second inning yesterday. Uh, aside from Justin Verlander's dominance, vintage JV, that second inning, and it looked scary for a second. In Ooh, fact, boy. I had the tweet drafted up, ready to send, that the Astros, I don't have the proof of this, but the Astros are the worst worst runner at third, less than two outs team in baseball history. You get the leadoff triple from Jose Abreu. Yay. Uh, the Chaz ground out with the infield in, which a little surprised they brought the infield in there, but Verlander, Castillo, low scoring game, you figure. Uh, Jeremy Pena strikes out. So you're in a spot now, two outs, runner at third. Everybody's feeling bad about the Astros. They'd been choking up to this point, and Dubon's up. I think, you get, I think Dubon got two strikes in the count as well. Single into right center field, you score Abreu. Martin Maldonado doubles. You score Mauricio Dubon, Jose Altuve base hit. All of a sudden, you look at that second inning, you have a three spot on the board when you came dangerously close to stranding a leadoff triple. And look, three runs in the second was all Verlander need. Game was one in the second inning offense. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, Big Mo was on the line right there because momentum and the fans and the environment go nuts if if he gets out of that inning, if Castillo gets out of that inning unscathed with a leadoff triple. And it's just not supposed to happen with a good team. And it looked like it was going to happen. I was already starting to walk out of the room going, I cannot believe early on they're going to do this again and have an ideal situation and an ample opportunity to put the first run on the board and they're not going to do it. And then the two guys that if – you're going to look at what Dusty did. And again, if we're going to give him his flowers, Dust, trust, Dusty trusted his own gut. And he, he put, you know, DeBond's the first personal center fielder. Maldi's a guy that everybody loves to bash on for not, that you don't want him behind the dish. But that's Verlander's personal catcher. And the two personals got personal last night, got two out base hits, and, and really set the tone aside from getting out of the bases loaded one out situation, which is another one where momentum might have switched. That was the key part of the ball game. And, and those two guys stepped up big. Yeah, I, I hate the single game prisoner of the moment. Oh, he made the right call because it's one of 162. And like, yes, I want Yiner Diaz to play over Martin Maldonado. Am I happy when Maldi has a two-hit game and drives in a critical run? Yes. In fact, it's the divisiveness of this fan base that kind of annoys me. It's like if you're a Yiner fan, you root for the struggles of Martin Maldonado. If you're the Maldi fan, you're rooting for the struggles of Yiner Diaz. I find it to be bizarre. It's great that it worked out yesterday. I would nitpick that it was a. it, it was not a... Dusty Baker like gut decision. This has become the tendency when Justin Verlander's mm-hmm. on the mound. It's, so it's not really a gut decision. It's kind of the standard that Martin Maldonado is going to catch. Mauricio Dubon's going to play center field, which again, like we go back and forth on if it's a personal thing or not a personal thing. Like, is he the personal center fielder of Justin Verlander? It feels that way. I think it's just more he doesn't want to play Jordan Alvarez in left field with Justin Verlander on the mound because he's a fly ball pitcher. So that allows Chaz to play left, and the decision now becomes Dubon Myers, and I think everybody in the city would go Dubon over Myers at this point. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it's everybody with their scorebook in hand. Everybody's looking at it. Obviously, in that situation, that's what we've seen all year of those two guys 
being there when Verlander's on the mound. But, you know, there are, there are you know, fan base members on the perch ready to pounce. And when they look at situations like this, then they look at the box score, and then they look at what happened, and, and they want to be I told you sowers, and that's the first thing they're going to go to. So for, for this game, the decision, whether it's already set in stone or not, and it seems to be, you're right, but regardless, it's going to be discussed like this is another dusty move, but the fact of the matter is, this one turned out to work out just fine because of what those two guys did in the second inning alone. But the fact that you've got guys that stepped up with hits, they did what they had to do offensively, and then he was dealing, that's fantastic. But you know that every time Yiner's in or out or guys, you know, Singleton and Jake, did they do anything? Jake got a bunt base hit. Well, then, you know, validate it or, you know, criticize it. It happens at every game. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. Like that's the prisoner moment of baseball. But you know, one of one sixty-two, the 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 comp there would be like nitpicking one offensive play out of two to three games. Quite honestly, because like you get what sixty offensive plays in the NFL, like one hundred and sixty-two games. You go nitpick there, one one like sixty offensive plays in one game, one hundred and twenty in two games, one hundred and eighty in three games. So I, I find it Philly uh, silly. Uh, to do the whole like single game, he was huge in this game. What a decision! Um, do you guys think that you know Julia during the TV broadcast said that Dusty said before the game that Brantley might play this series? Uh, yeah, it doesn't sound to me like he's going to start. It sounds yeah. like he's available off the bench, and like and, and he was available last night apparently to pinch it if need be. But like if he starts, mm-hmm. he's in left field. And Chaz uh, is in center because like if Jordan can't play left, that's the only option you have. I, I don't think Brantley is going to start. Like, it's kind of a, I'll believe it when I see it, but it seems to me like Brantley's good for one plate appearance a game at this point. Quite honestly, it's the way it feels like to me. I mean, that'd be great. I hope I'm wrong. I mean, I'm fine with well, it, honestly. And think about the, he, whether he, you know, you'd like to use him more or not. And I know that he doesn't need the rehab stints, although he took extensive rehab stints when he was getting ready to come back both times. But the fact of the matter is he hasn't seen a whole lot of major league pitching right now for, what, a week or more? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, maybe a pinch hit, sure. But I don't know that I'm just going to throw him right back into the starting lineup and think that he's going to be better than the options that you have if you want uh, Jordan at DH. Think of the scenario where a pinch hit happens, though. No, I agree. I agree on a pinch hit It's going to be in a critical spot. Like, if you're trying to, like, ease him back in, it might be better to give him a start if you win the first two games of the series. Because the, like, the leverage of a pinch hit opportunity, unless it's like a, you know, a five-run game either way, it's going to be pretty significant. Yeah, I, I mean, but you don't know... What, maybe they want to do that, but they don't want to start him. Maybe if they get up big again, they'll throw him in a game, too. Yeah, I, I don't know. Mind, I wouldn't mind that at all. Yeah, because I think that he's going to be a, a little rusty uh, on Major League Pitching right off the bat just simply because regardless of what's been going on and what kind of discomfort he's had or soreness, this is the kind of deal that where you're not swinging the bat every day and pounding you know tons and tons of baseballs. Yeah, and it, I mean, this is not the time to mess around either, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not the time to dabble. It's not the time to experiment. Like, you would like to have confidence that – Brantley feels really good, and he's in form. And you can't have that confidence because he hasn't played, and you don't know if he's in form. And you also have, I think, a better option in Yonder Diaz. Now, Mm -hmm. it does require Jordan Alvarez to play left field, and that might be a sticking point. It does require Chas McCormick to play center field, and that seems like it's a sticky point as well. Uh, 713-780-ESP. And more on this game when we come back. I I thought that the most most underrated player in yesterday's game 
was Jose Abreu. And look, we got to talk about the crowd cheering Jose Altuve getting plunked. 713-780-3776. Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Hey, before we go to the break, tell you about the good people at MyBookie again. Look, it's the only place that I tell you to go when you want to put money on games. Or maybe now you want to get in on some casino gambling, but you don't want to drive to the casino and drive to Louisiana or fly to Vegas. You don't have to. Live dealers are standing by. You can get in on casino games at any hour of the day or night when you just feel like playing some cards or doing some things. And, of course, with all the different sporting events going on, you can bet on all those games, too. And the best reason why you go to them is because they take care of their customers in so many different ways. they got a ton of different prop bets going on. they got a lot of different promotions going on where you can cash in, get crazy odds, or do some things to get some games to actually look like they can go in your favor before they even start, and maybe you can cash in. Better than that, you need to use the promo code BET975 whenever they ask you to because whether you're a new subscriber subscribing for the first time or you're reloading your account after being with MyBookie in the past, if you put in at least 50 bucks, you could get up to $200 in your account instantly. And you know what that means. More money in your account, more games you can bet on, and more chances to win. That's why you always use the promo code BET975. And they take care of you every step of the way. They've been in business for over a decade. They're not going anywhere. So your money, it's not going anywhere either. And when you need it and you want to cash out, you can. Even in this promotion, you get the bonus money, you bet it once. If you win it, take it out, spend it, enjoy it. It's yours. They take care of their customers, and I think that's why it's so special. Check them out today. Go to mybookie.ag and use that promo code wherever you can, bet975. As I always tell you, bet anything, anytime, anywhere. But the only place I tell you to do it is mybookie.ag. Ocho says uh, the difference between when the Astros score first when they don't is quite telling. 61-22 and when they score first, 25-48 and when they don't. I think he's trying to say the Astros aren't resilient, which, touche. Uh, I'd like to see the rest of baseball, though. Like, is that egregious relative to the rest of baseball? Like, what is the winning percentage of just random teams or the average Major League Baseball team when they score first and then when they don't? Like, is it that egregious to the Astros? Ocho, look that up for me and let me know. I I was a little surprised the Mariners didn't have uh, a better home record when they were talking about it last night. Where are they at? Uh, They're just a couple games over five hundred. Not great. And so I was curious. You know, I just think that as much as we are so hyper-focused on just the Astros, there's other teams that kind of struggle. Not obviously as bad as what the Astros have done. I think, though, the Astros would be like one of three. If they make the playoffs, I think they'd be one of three teams in Major League Baseball history that would make the playoffs with a losing home record. So, like, it's kind of nuts if that's true that's that's amazing but it it makes sense but yeah i mean again it's just that's baseball i mean seattle's seven games above 500 at home okay the astros are three under that's a that's a that's a 10 game difference Mm now you know they still have games to play they have two against the astros they have four left against the rangers so they could end up with 41 but it means they would have to lose out yeah they were talking about last night i think blumer guesstimated that it was that they were only three over and then when they actually looked it up it was different but even still i thought that you know i thought they were really dominant at home over the years and their crowd's good and that weather is not great but i mean it it would be surprising to me for the astros that you know you get into the playoffs with as bad of a home record as you had but it just shows you how Again, I'd love to be able to put my finger on it, but the fact that they come in and just like a totally different team on the road, mm-hmm. and they have such a great road record, it's a testament to the again the talent on the roster. But you can't you scratch your head going, why can't you figure out at home? Yeah, just paint the batter's eye black like it is at T-Mobile Park. Uh, I like this question a lot here because it makes you think. I like good questions that make you think. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. If you have questions that make you think, uh, if the Astros clinched a playoff berth, 
but are two games back of the Rangers heading into the last series, do you pitch our best guys or rest them for the potential wild card round? My immediate reaction is, it is a good question, and my immediate reaction is, I'm in, I'm setting up my pitching staff for the playoffs. I think Uh, I'm with you. I just, I can't limp into the playoffs knowing that I went for it, especially if I didn't get it, and then would be taxing my my number one and number two starters when I know that, that I'm going to be dependent on them, not only in this series if I get through it, but going forward, I don't want them early to have tax to be taxing their arm. That that's just me. But that on first glance on that question, that's exactly how I'd handle it handles. Because now it's, it's out of your control. Is it that hard of a question? To I think that's the right answer, and it's super easy. Well, you avoid you a wild card them. series is very important. Like is, you could you could be eliminated in two games out of the postseason. And if you avoid like, the wild card, you could reset your pitching staff. Yeah. Then if you do go short, yeah. So I, I do think it's incredibly valuable to miss the wild card series and make the division series. I, I think it's massive. But is it more massive than potentially having a Verlander not available until Game Three of a wild card round, and then just and then Fromber unavailable in a wild card round? I, I don't think so. I don't think it is either because like you need those guys to advance to the next round. Like I mean, do you, anyone want to see Christian Javier start Game One of a wild card series? But it would it would be more than that. Like unless you're going Verlander and Fromber on short rest, because again Verlander is in line to start on Saturday, so that means Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, full rest would be Thursday. So that's now Game Three. Yes. So it'd be Game Three of a wild card. Javier would pitch Game One Tuesday, assuming that Fromber. Well, it depends on how you use Fromber. It depends on how you use Fromber. I think this is... If you don't use Fromber in Game 162, he's your Game 1 starter. Yeah. But if you're forced to use him in Game 162, you're looking at Javier, who knows who's going in Game 2, and then Verlander, and then Verlander in a Game 3, assuming that none of those guys go on short rest. Because Verlander could go short rest Game 2, Fromber could go short rest Game 3. Uh, and the other thing, guys, you got to think about this, too, is if you start taxing their arms early and working them on short rest, mm-hmm. now you're desperate for trying to get a day off here or there, trying to figure it out, and they might not ever get back to top form 100% ready to go for the next start, their, their arm's going to have some extra wear and tear on it before yep. you even get deep into the playoffs, and I don't think you want that. I don't like pitching guys on short rest because I, I don't think they're very effective on short rest, but then the the piggyback of it, the domino effect, you're absolutely right. Like It's going to... It's going to hurt their effectiveness in that next start as well. I'm not. A, I'm not a fan of starting a guy on short rest. Now, if it's Frommer Valdez and a do or die on short rest versus JP France on normal rest, I'm, I got to do it. Do. <laughs> I got. I don't like it, but I got to do it. Sorry, JP on full rest, but I got to go with my dude on short rest. But I don't love doing it. Absolutely right. Jose Abreu was fantastic yesterday. We've dogged him plenty, uh, but he had that triple. Came around to score, and then defensively. Yeah. Where where did that come from? Well, not only the plays <clears throat> defensively uh, when the ball was hit to him, the scoop on the double play was pretty impressive too because it was kind of a short hop, and, and he made a heck of a good scoop there too. But the play down the line, the, he had two plays early. Um, he looked great, and the speed. I mean, when they showed the replay, when he decided to kick it into another gear, I was like, oh, he, he doesn't have that gear. And he was moving pretty good around those base paths too, so it was good to see. Yeah, that was uh, that was impressive. That Abreu, like Abreu came to play yesterday. Jordan came to play yesterday. Had a couple of hits. Hit that dong. Had that double in the left center field gap. That was cool to see. I think one thing we have to talk about is that uh, that reputation that T-Mobile Park has. Jose Altuve got plunked yesterday, and the immediate reaction. Look, Seattle didn't have a whole lot of to cheer about in this game. You know, Mariners fans were quiet really throughout, especially after that three-run second inning. Jose Altuve gets hit. I believe it was a three-two pitch. 
And the crowd erupts. Biggest cheer of the night at T-Mobile Park. The moron behind the plate yeah. standing up He was up looking and at clapping. his phone yeah. first. I mean, they were sitting there, and I had noticed the guy, people behind the plate, like you were talking about. They were sitting on their hands. They were stifled early because of the, the, the early runs and the way Verlander was pitching. And then all of a sudden, you hang around, and you want to do that. And everybody erupts to do that. And it's like, show your, tell us your, your class list without having to tell us your class list. Do that kind of crap now. That's a Scott Service move, in my opinion, too. Because I, I just, I, I, I played against, I've known him forever. But Scott Service is not one of these stand-up dudes that you just, he's one of those guys that's fake tough that likes to try and stir it up and do things like that, too. But what does that do in the ninth inning in a game that's basically out of hand and, and you're going to try and get some, some jeers and cheers from your crowd? It's a bad look and it, it didn't need to be done, but that's Seattle. I don't, I don't think it was intentional. Are you saying it was intentional? I looked at it. It was 96-mile-an-hour fastball that had a little tail on it. Why don't you do that first pitch of the at-bat, though? I mean, I don't. guys do things for different reasons. I understand what you're saying, but I think that, you know, with them thinking that the game's out of reach 2-3-2, two, two, maybe, maybe he's just trying to send a message and brush him back. But I would think that would be a much better pitch and much more of a competitive pitch than it was on a 3-2 count. Yeah, I mean, some guys just miss their spots. I mean, you're trying to go inside to a guy who kind of died. I don't think it was intentional. We'll never know. Uh, the reaction to the park, I don't even really care about the reaction of Seattle cheering it. Like, you bought tickets to the game. Like, you can you can fan however you want to fan. I'm not one to tell people how to fan. Now, there's certain things you can't do. can't be violent, like a lot of these football fights that we're seeing. It can't be racist. You need to be respectful to women and children. So there's certain things where there's lines that, you know, need to be had whenever you're a fan that's fanning. I don't I don't really don't care if you if you you clap whenever your rival gets hit. Like do what you gotta do as a fan to make you happy. Unless I mean if the guy's running to first base, yeah, what that's one thing. If he gets hit in the head and he's down on the ground, you shouldn't be cheering that. But Altuve never went to the ground, you know, he ran to first base. Like cheering that to me is fine. The problem that I have is the irony of the fan base. Like, this is the same fan base that was griping and moaning and carroning about the fact that there was a broom graphic on Twitter that you lost your collective minds, and then the irony plays out last night where you're all of a sudden cheering a guy that's hurt. Pick who you want to be. Pick this, let's be a reputation, tough guys. We're going to boo everybody. We're going to boo our own team. We're going to cheer when the other guy gets hurt. If you're going to do that, you can't go gripe on Twitter about a broom on a Twitter graphic, it is embarrassing by your fan base. No, you're, you're absolutely right about that. I, I just think that overall, this is who this is who Seattle is. This is what their team. I think that's what their manager wants them to be. Um, and they look for little things. They look for the external motivation. They look to try and you know send a message that they're tough. That they're not going to back down. But you got your ass handed to you in Game One of a critical series after you got pounded in Texas. I don't know that that's going to help them be motivated for today's game, but whatever works for you. I thought it was classless by the fan base. Yeah, you're right. They pay their ticket money. They can do whatever they want. But, I mean, you're still you're getting pounded, right? So this is the one thing that you can cheer about and feel good about yourself for. So be it. Then that's the way you want to handle it. Look, if you want to be Philadelphia and boo Santa Claus and you want to boo Michael Irvin whenever he breaks his neck on the turf there in Philly, the old veteran stadium, like, cool. Throw, throw full beer cans at 80-year-old yeah, women like, from the other team and have a courtroom in the, in the stadium. Ugly. It's nasty. But guess what? They have a reputation. So, like, if that's what your reputation is going to be, sometimes 
times you're crossing the line. But, okay, let that be your reputation. I guarantee you Philly fans aren't going on Twitter and crying over broom graphics. Good point. Like, if you're going to be ugly and ruthless and vicious to the opposition, you, you lose all credibility when you start to go on Twitter and you're crying about a graphic. It's embarrassing. Seattle fans are embarrassing. They are the worst baseball fans in all of, in all of baseball. Yankee fans are better than Mariner fans. Seattle, Pierre, where are you? Uh, Eric with a good question. Game 162 and you're in the playoffs, but it's to win the division. Fromber starting that game. I, I still think... That's a tough one. It, but I'm still not taking my chances burning one of my starting pitchers for when the, the the slate is cleaned and you're at 0-0 and you're trying to win enough games to win the World Series. I got to believe that I got enough pitchers, even if I got to kind of paste it together with bullpen guys, that I've got a better chance to, to take a shot at it but still protect what's in my best interest, which is having my best pitchers available for the playoffs. So I'm going to I'm gonna side on the fact that, again, I'm not going to burn my best starting pitcher or one of my best two starting pitchers in the last game of the season to try and win the division. So you can win the division. I got, enough better, I got enough good pitchers. Rested, I know. And you're going with somebody else. Yeah. I am too. <laughs> I am Same. too. I am too. You can't run. That the worst case scenario is Fromber loses the game. You don't win the division. You're in a wild card. Fromber's unavailable. Best case scenario, you win the game. You go to the division, the, the division, uh, the, the ALDS. The, yeah, right. So you're in the ALDS. That's great. But to me, the risk there outweighs the reward. Without question. I also think the offense, the bats, a great question, should be there. good enough. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter who you throw out there. Go slug. Like, go I, in a game 10-8. to eight. I know Hunter Brown has been getting torched and J.P. France and these guys, but like with Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker and Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman in a lineup alone, you should be able to win any game with anyone on the mound. And, and the other thing, too, to that point, Joe, is from a pitching perspective, if I don't ask to get six innings out of Hunter Brown, but I say empty the tank in an inning or two, go out and give your best – just. Just give your best fastballs, spot your pitches, go out and be dominant for an inning or two. I can patchwork through that with a couple of pitchers to where, and if a guy's hot, you ride him for maybe a maybe a couple innings. But I think that there would be enough that you could be competitive because of the offense that you say as well and still save your best pitcher. I mean, you can go mostly bullpen day because that yep. Monday's off. Yep. So you could go like... I mean, I don't know who would be available there. Maybe like, uh, I hate to use Hunter Brown as an example here, but maybe you go one turn through the lineup with Hunter Brown, one turn through the lineup with J.P. France and or Javier and or Kitty, and you get through the fourth inning and you turn it over to the bullpen. Stanek, you got an inning. Maton, you got an inning. Uh, Graveman, you have an inning. Montero, you have an inning. Uh, Neris, Abreu, Presley. That's seven innings worth of work. Maybe your starters only have to go three. Yeah, and then you Phil have the day off on out. Monday. Maybe Phil can sit the day, that day off too. Like you have enough, like it depends on your usage of the bullpen leading into that game. But I, I think I have to hold Fromber back for the playoffs too because Absolutely. you lose that game. Yeah, it's for the division title. Now you're in the wild card and Fromber is either A, not available or B, pitching in short rest in a game three. And if necessary, game three of a wild card. Can That's I, tough. Oh, well, what if what if you catch Toronto? So your choice. Which, by are- the way, Fromber pitching in game one sixty two would be on short rest already. Mm-hmm. So that would already be on short rest. So that makes the decision easier because he's not a fully rested Fromber. No, I'm not. I'm not pushing a, a, not a short rest that. Fromber for game one sixty two. Does it does it change if you know you pass Toronto before game one sixty two? Not really. And you're going to face Tampa, or you're going to get a bye. Because I do feel like for me that it would be more lose. it would be more important for Fromber to pitch game one sixty two to win the division 
and not face Tampa in a three-game wild card series. That matters. Because like part of it is it's like you're playing Minnesota right now. They're gonna yeah. I think they're gonna roll the twins if they make the playoffs. I but, do too. but I'm not starting Fromber in a game one sixty two on short rest period. Unless it is a do or die, Agreed. my season's yeah, on the line. Agreed. If I'm already in the postseason, there is no way Fromber Valdez is starting game one sixty two of the regular season on short rest when I have already clinched a playoff. Yeah, if I got a ticket to the dance then I'm going in with my best dancing shoes on and my best outfit. I'm not going to come in all wrinkled and ruffled and because I, I burnt my, you know, one of my two best pitchers, and, and I don't give myself the ultimate chance to get to where we, we want to go. I can't do that. 713-780-ESPN, the HRMP listener line, 713-780-3776. Watched the All-22 this morning, went to the shop here, did a little bit of work. Got some thoughts after watching this, and you're not going to want to miss what I have to say. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. First a moment on HRP Human Resources and Payroll. It's Cougar owned by Mike Holly. I think he could be effective on this offensive line that the the NFL team of the city has over there. Uh, HRP members of the Cougar 100 for the eighth year in a row. You've seen the HRP signage all around campus. You've seen their building off the beltway. Business owners, it is time for you to let HRP help you. Whether it's HR compliance, whether it's benefits administration, payroll, onboarding, HRP can help in any or all of those areas. There's no boxes with HRP. Doesn't matter how small the job, doesn't matter how big the job, HRP completely customizes a plan for whatever you and your business needs. You have a problem, you have an issue, you want to take a little bit off your plate, HRP will find a way to help. They do it in a way that's unique. Technology meets the meets the best service in the business. They have the best tech, you'll love that, but they have the best service as well. Guaranteed fulfillment. You won't be talking to a stranger on a call board. You'll be talking to someone who knows your business needs. Also, employers, if you care about your employees, HRP is great for them too. We use it here at Gal Media. We did the open enrollment these last few days. Piece of cake. They make it easy. Give them a call right now at 281-880-6525 and let HRP customize a plan for you. 281-880-6525 or check them out at hrp.net. That's hrp.net. That's the feeling I have when I watch C.J. Stroud, Blinkers. I know that was Robert Sala and Garrett Wilson about the Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. Sorry to bring up hard feelings or bad feelings. But that's how I uh, that's how I feel when I watch C.J. Stroud at quarterback. I, I think that uh, however you claim the Texans got C.J. Stroud, uh, some people think that it was ownership that stepped in. I know Lance has talked about that, and I believe Lance. Um, uh, whether it's the whole Colts, you know, losing that last game to the Texans in Week 18, you could have just drafted C.J. Stroud at number one, by the way. However you feel that the Texans came across the services of one C.J. Stroud, they are so lucky that they have them. Because how have we viewed the Houston Texans these last couple of years? Laughingstock, uh, embarrassing, Easterby, Cal McNair, a, a doofus owner. Uh, they've went through Cully. They've went through Lovey. You know, Nick Casario has been questionable at best. At best. You know, sometimes we'll defend him, but at best, Nick Casario has been questionable. A franchise quarterback covers up a lot of wrong. Mm. He fixes a lot of wrong. And look, three games, people are going to say, oh, you're crazy. No, man. C.J. Stroud is a franchise quarterback for the Houston Texans. C.J. Stroud brings hope to the Houston Texans. I've seen Stroud compared to Burrow at times, which I can see it because he's cool, he's calm, he's collected, gets everybody involved, doesn't make huge mistakes, maybe doesn't have the biggest arm in the world, but a good enough arm, enough of an athlete to avoid pressure, things like that. If C.J. Stroud 
Stroud's Joe Burrow, you're a Super Bowl oh. contender next season. No question about it. Look, I, I think at this point, with what we've had to endure over the last three to five years, we were just looking for some positivity, some signs of hope, some signs that you got it right. You don't care how he got here. Just be glad he got here as fast as he could, and he's already developed to look like he does when he puts on your uniform every single week. Because whether we had it right or wrong, or the, or the draft experts and prognosticators had it right or wrong, or what the scenario was and how it played out to them taking a quarterback when they did, they got it right. It looks like they got the right guy. And this is what, as much as you try to get Cal flipping burgers and change the image and change the uniforms and, and, and you know bring D'Amico in and do things to try and change the overall perception of the franchise and then how the football operation works, this is what does it more than anything else. The single most important position of any player in any teams in professional sports, and it looks like you got the right guy. Now people want to watch him every single week, which means they want to watch the team every single week, which means they're coming back on the bandwagon. They jumped off so quickly when they were dealing with some of the schmoes that you were mentioning. And now that they have a reason to feel like football season is important again is the biggest, most important thing. Of course, it starts with the fact that he has the ability to play the position. It looks really good. But he has more impact than if this happened with an offensive lineman or you know a defensive someone in the defensive secondary. This is it, folks, and because of him and what he's doing, we always said, when it's gonna, what's it going to take for the fans to jump back on the bandwagon? This right here, yeah. that's what it's going to take. I think it is the combination of D'Amico and Stroud, because I think D'Amico does matter, but Stroud's the bigger variable. Like The franchise quarterback is the bigger variable. You have a coach that you feel confident in, and you, you're a fan favorite of him, uh, and now you have a franchise quarterback. And this is part of the you know analysis I have of the All-22. Watching the game, like C.J. Stroud, amazing. Watching the All-22, even better. Like, even yeah. better. The, it's the same stuff we were talking about. Like, he, his anticipation is on another level. His anticipation, I don't want to use the word elite because he's played three games in his NFL career, but his, his anticipation is unbelievable. And we've seen it with Nico Collins on, like, the shallow post, on the deep slants. But his decisiveness in this game was on a different level than his first two. His precision, remember Bobby Sloak mm-hmm. would use that word precision in training camp before the season started. We want our quarterback to be precise. Uh, and they said it even before the draft. It's what turned us off of like Anthony Richardson and Will Levis because those guys are not precise with the football, and C.J. Stroud is precise with the football. Uh, if he plays at this level consistently, which I think is a very high bar, I, I don't think it's fair to hold him to this Week 3 standard his entire rookie season, but if he plays at this level consistently, he's a top-10 quarterback in his rookie season. Mm-hmm. And think how absurd that is. How many rookie quarterbacks in their rookie year have been top-10 quarterbacks in the NFL? Very, very few. Like, Trevor Lawrence certainly wasn't. He wasn't that guy after his first year. Joe Burrow probably wasn't because he got hurt. He might have been if he didn't get hurt, but they just still didn't win a whole lot of games in his rookie season. Who else was a top-10 quarterback at the end of their rookie year? I think that if he plays like this like the rest of the season or close to it, this will probably be the best rookie season we've seen since Andrew Luck. He's putting up numbers that are putting him in the conversation, and, and, still too early, but putting him in the conversation where he might break Andrew Luck's passing record as a rookie. No question. And I think the other thing in, in some of the intangibles you were mentioning that always impresses me is his ability to buy a few more, uh, just a few more seconds of time. Right, It's not always just stepping up. It could be sliding to the side. It could be a slight rollout and then setting your feet quickly, still knowing where your guys are and, and what the progressions are going to be if the play starts breaking down or you know that time's running out. He seems to be well ahead of everybody else in this draft class 
in terms of his grasp of the in-game adjustments play-by-play. From play-to-play, his ability to adapt and adjust based on the situation he's facing has been extremely impressive to me because the maturity is beyond his years. You don't see a lot of veteran quarterbacks that are able to do that from play to play. I'm over comparing him to, to rookie quarterbacks. Like, C.J. Stroud has graduated off of the conversation of comparing him to Bryce Young and Anthony Richardson. I think we're selling C.J. Stroud short whenever we do that. I want to compare him, and I'm not going to sit here and say I want to compare him to Pat Mahomes when people are putting out numbers, comparing him to Mahomes, things like that. Like, those are numbers. Like, we're not comparing him to the Tier 1 quarterbacks in the NFL. But where is he at versus the middle of the pack? I mean, the quarterback- Where is he at versus Kirk Cousins? Where is he at versus Matt Stafford today. Who gives you a better chance to win today? CJ, I mean, the quarterback play in the NFL is so atrocious right now that like, you almost have to include CJ and the other two guys outside of this rookie conversation because the quarterback play in the NFL is dreadful. Like, I, I bet you if you polled fans from every single team and you made them watch the Texans game, at least like 10 of them minimum would say they would rather have C.J. Stroud today than their quarterback. I think you have three. I think you have three really good tiers. I think Pat Mahomes isn't a tier behind, by himself. Mm-hmm. I think that Josh Allen's probably in that second tier. Joe Burrow struggled a bit. Herbert. Some of the injuries. He's, he's, Herbert's probably in that second or third tier. You can argue that. Uh, but like Mac Jalen Jones, Mac, like is C.J. Stroud better than Mac Jones? Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Zach Wilson. That's the. I'm sorry for even bringing that up. No, that's can not he, even a comparison. Can Zach Wilson's not better than P.J. Walker. Can he pick it? Better than Kenny he's better I think, than Ken, I think yeah. Stroud's better than Deshaun Watson today. Here's I, another thing on C.J. Stroud. He doesn't throw the ball backwards. C.J. Stroud is the most talented quarterback the Houston Texans have had in franchise history. He ha- he's not. He doesn't have the resume. He doesn't have the records. He doesn't have the accolades of any of these guys. But he's more talented than Deshaun Watson, which isn't a hot take. He was the number two pick. Deshaun Watson was the number twelve pick, and Deshaun Watson would run at the first sign of pressure and had tons of negative plays. C.J. Stroud doesn't do that. And then the second quarterback would be Matt Schaub. And look, love Matt Schaub. Had a bunch of really good seasons, but Matt Schaub was not close to the talent of a C.J. Stroud. The big thing to me was Deshaun's biggest asset was his ability to run, but he did it way too much. C.J. does doesn't run unless he has to, but if he has to, he can. He's proven that, and he can get you seven, eight yards. He can try and get you a first down, but he his first thought when the play starts breaking down isn't, I better get out of Dodge. I better get start running and, and see what can happen here. He knows there are still plays to be made where he, they don't take a loss or, or they take a minimal loss, or he has an option to possibly still get some, some positive yards and live to see another play where you don't put your team in peril because you're putting the ball out there wide open for someone to either knock you out and take it or throw it for a pick. He does a lot of things, like I said, that I don't think you see a lot of veterans do. I think that because of that and the fact, look, he's going to have some stinkers, folks. Sure. I hate to break it to you. They're not going to win every game, and, and he's not going to be stellar like this every single game. But the best thing is he learns from his mistakes. You see him get better each week, and that's what gives you the most encouragement. He hasn't – he has matured so much from week one. Like, the happy-footedness that you're talking about, he's sitting there taking hits or, like, looking at pressure right in their eyes and throwing dimes against one-on-one coverage to dudes who are a lot better now than they were with previous quarterbacks. 713-780-3776. And people are, uh, are weighing in on quarterbacks that they rather have – uh, C.J. Stroud over, like Cowboy fans. You can imagine how that's going. Plus, look, we didn't even get to any of this other stuff because C.J. Stroud dominates the conversation. It's great to have a franchise quarterback in the city. 713-780-3776. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 